You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Oh, look here. I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Woo, look at that son gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. Hello and welcome to The Edge, the weekly podcast of the Bass Edge television show, airing each and every Wednesday and Sunday morning on the Versus Network. I am your host, Aaron Martin. Over the next 50 minutes or so, we are going to have the opportunity to speak with veteran BASS elite angler Peter T., as well as chat briefly with Dr. Jay McNamara, who is the author of The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing, to go into detail about goal setting and how that impacts anglers. Uh, We will then head to uh, announce the winner of our weekly giveaway and tell you how to get entered in on the action if you have not already done so. And finally, we'll go to the mailbag and answer this week's listener email question. There is a lot of information ahead, so let's pause for our first break, and then we will join Peter T. for this week's Angler Spotlight. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the toe and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 toe and pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The toe and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. All right, we're back on The Edge. Uh, recently, I had the opportunity to speak with veteran BASS angler Peter T., whom has really just had tremendous success down through the years. So let's join him now for that interview and see what he has to say uh, about fishing techniques that has got him this far in his career. I have the pleasure today to be joined by, in, in my opinion, one of the all-time greats, Peter T., Peter, welcome to to Bass Edge. Really appreciate you being a part of yeah, part of the show today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's kind of unusual. Uh, All time great just doesn't <laughs> it doesn't come into my mind that way. I'm continuing on in my path, you know. Well, and and to tag onto that, you know how how did you even get started in the in the sport of fishing and and wind up here? I just have always fished all my life. Uh, my parents used to take me, and my grandparents used to take me to the beach uh, in Florida, surf fishing. I, I started teaching myself how to freshwater fish because my dad had a restaurant close to, kind of between the St. Johns River and a small lake uh, in, a, in a subdivision, and I learned to fish that, that 30 or 40 acre lake bass fishing and joined a club at the age of 15 in the state, uh, first junior member of a club in, in the state of Florida. And uh, it just kind of snowballed into where I'm at today. Everything just kind of grew. I kept loving the competition and wanting to be more involved in it and wanting to catch more fish and learning how to catch more fish. And and it all just kind of kept going and going and going. And it it was almost like, uh, you know, wanting to be, uh, it was almost like a disease almost. You know, I wanted to to find out more about it and what made it uh, happen and what, brought me to where I'm at today, you know, it, it kind of kept going and, uh, you know, it's just, it's gotten bigger. 
Well, and one of the, th the things that I find so unique about that is your your beginnings didn't even start with necessarily fresh water. Right. And so in my mind, that's a perfect opportunity for individuals who just want some exposure. Can you t elaborate a little bit on that for individuals who's wanting to start just get involved in the sport? You have to have the passion. I mean, there is a true passion involved with tournament angling. And uh, whether you want to be a tournament angler or just a better angler in general, you have to have the passion to learn and you have to want to explore new areas. Uh, I've, I've met people through the tournament uh, field, you know, through co-anglers in the back of the boat that are just curious about the sport. And I've, I've had guys in the back of the boat that are as good a fisherman as me, you know. Uh, so we reach all levels of fishermen in, in, our, in our industry. And I think the guys that, that want to learn uh, more about fishing, the people that want to really in, in learn about the sport, when they have the opportunity to get with a pro angler in the back of the boat in a co-angler situation, either whether it's a BFL or a Bass Weekend Series, whatever the situation is, I always tell people the best thing to do is, is to learn as much as you can from that individual that's in the front of that boat. And they're not necessarily going to learn you know, what to do right, but learn what not to do. You know, always pick up something when you're in the back of the boat with somebody. And, and learning to uh, recognize when somebody's doing the, the right thing and catching a lot of fish and when they're not catching fish what they're doing wrong you know pay attention to those things and, and add it to your to your repertoire of things that uh, you know you carry with you when you're progressing on through the sport so always putting yourself basically in a position to to be open open-minded yeah. absolutely okay. you have to be leading up through your your beginnings as surf fishing uh, to present day um, 2006 has been a, a great year, tremendous year uh, for you. And um, any anything that stands out with regards to summarizing <laughs> your year, or I don't well, know it all started in two thousand and five. I had probably the worst year of my career in two thousand and five. I had a terrible finish through the Angler of the Year standings in bass. Even though I won a tournament in two thousand and five, uh, I still finished terribly, terribly low, and was just. Uh, 2006 became kind of was a kind of a pivotal point. Bass changed their schedule. We had a, a you know an extended schedule, 11 tournaments in the regular season, three majors, 14 tournaments in all. Uh, and there was a lot of doubt in my mind as to whether or not I was even wanted to try and compete at this level again. And uh, you know I had a lot of support at home, my wife, my family, uh, my mom and dad, all behind me 100%, and said, you know, you need to you need to go ahead and do it. Uh, it's a big step. There was a lot of money involved entry fee-wise, uh, a lot of time away from home. And I basically, you know, just put it in my head that 2006, I had to really bear down and do my best in these tournaments. And uh, I set goals for myself. I wanted to uh, break the million-dollar mark in my career earnings, and I thought that uh, I thought that might be possible this year. Uh, it's just because of the number of tournaments we had. I, mm -hmm. I, my, my whole career has been based on consistency. I've, I've always been a consistent finisher in the money, so uh, 2006 gave me an opportunity to, to do that. I wanted to finish in the top 10 in the Angler of the Year standings. Doesn't look like I'm going to do that uh, at this point, but uh, I did break the million dollar mark this year, and that was, that was a real accomplishment. I, I was really proud of that, and uh, didn't know that it was, you know, when it would happen and if it would happen, but I'm glad that it did. 
Well, that, again, that just places you amongst a group of already elite people, but that certainly places you even at an even higher level. And I think, you know, that consistency is demonstrated by that, by that ranking. I, I agree with you. I, I mean, I, I'm just tickled to death to have the opportunity to do this. I mean, it's been a lifelong dream. Used to sit in class just like uh, the kids you see that aren't paying any attention. Cute. My notebook, I had a Bassmaster magazine inside my notebook instead of what I was supposed to be studying. So uh, I always wanted to tournament fish. I always wanted to be, you know, at a competitive level with other guys. And and really the what it boils down to is it's not so much you're fishing against another individual as much as you are competing against the fish themselves. And that's the hardest thing for most people to realize that they're getting into the sport. Everybody's trying to beat somebody, you know, and, and I want to do this and I want to beat, you know, I want to be better than Ike Canelli or I want to be better than Rick Klun or I want to be better than Gerald Swindle. Uh, that's not the deal. The deal is figuring out how to be better than that fish, figure out that be one step ahead of the fish so that you can, if you catch fish, everything else comes to the top, you know, it, it evens out. And that's one thing I've always tried to do is, is not worry about, you know, am I going to get this sponsor or am I going to get you know, this or uh, this award or anything like that. If you catch fish, you, you know, you're going to get to where you need to be. Consistency has certainly been your key. Anything that you see looking at your personal situation compared to maybe some other pros that you do differently that has put you in that mark of consistency? I, I think I, you know, I, I play, I, I try to fish tournaments with my strengths in front of me and, and the techniques that I, that I have my most confidence in. And uh, realizing what your abilities are uh, and not trying to be, you know, not going to a lake and say, okay, well, I hear they're catching them on deep crankbait, so I'm going to fish a deep crankbait and catch fish. It doesn't always work out that way. Uh, I fish in my comfort zone, which is soft plastics, jigs, generally a slow presentation technique or a methodical technique. And I try to make that work everywhere I go. And I always try to supplement it with other techniques. If, uh, if I know I can't do as well with, with a Carolina rig or with a Texas rig worm as I'd like to, then I start looking in other areas and try to fill the void there. But I'm always going to play to my strengths. And that's, that's what I've always tried to do in my career is not fish outside of my, my, my highest potential. Uh, my best techniques, mm -hmm. and uh, that's that's been where you know I kind of make it work wherever I go, and sometimes it works better, and sometimes it doesn't work well at all. So I always try and fish my strengths first, and then follow up with with the other techniques to fill you know those empty spots that I maybe you know need to learn a technique or a pattern or a situation, and you know. Go so from for the there. beginning angler, is whether they're, they tournament fish or not. Do you suggest picking a certain technique or a certain bait presentation and mastering that first, or do you recommend, you know, trying to? I think that's probably the easiest way to be successful. Everybody, you know, you kind of get in a rut if you do the same thing over and over again. And I try to, in, my, in seminars and, and speaking engagements, I always try and tell people, do what you do best first. And, and when you find a group of fish that you're able to catch and you know that there's fish there and they're biting, they're active, and you're catching them throwing a plastic worm or throwing a topwater, 
whenever I'm in that situation, my mind always looks for a, a different technique. I always look for, can I catch them better doing something else? I always ask myself that question. I know I, I found them, I located them, they're biting. What can I do to catch them better or bigger? So you try and so disprove I start, your, the, the pattern that you actually yeah, started? Yeah, I, I try to refine it to where you know, it's either going to be better fishing something else or what I'm doing is the best. And uh, when you find fish and they're actively biting, that's the best time to try different techniques and be successful at it. If you say, you know, the, if you go out and you're going to throw a spinnerbait all day long and you're catching fish on a spinnerbait, and you think to yourself, well, you know, I want to try something a little bit different. They're either going to hit it, you know, you can throw a topwater, or you can throw a buzzbait, or you can throw a jig in the same area and, and try and catch those same fish. And you're either going to say, you're either going to figure out that they will hit something better, or you're going to catch bigger fish on something different, or you're going to, you know, your spinnerbait pattern is the best thing going. So uh, you just have to eliminate things. It's always a process of elimination. And, and most of the people that are successful in tournaments know how to take that shortcut. You know, in other words, instead of working through the process, one lure, one technique at a time, a certain situation, a cloud cover or wind may, you know, we, we've done it enough that we know what to do and when to do it at that instant. And, and being afraid, not being afraid to change techniques during a situation or during a day of fishing. Uh, you know, you can be catching them like crazy first thing in the morning on a topwater bait. The sun peaks up over the trees and starts to get a little bit more, you know, light on the water and they, they kind of back off from that. Well, either your day's done or you figure out some other way to catch fish. And the guys that roll with the punches throughout the day are usually the most successful. And, and you know, refining your patterns is, is as simple as just thinking about it, uh, paying attention to the, you know, the situation that you're fishing, whether it's watercolor change or uh, bait fish movement or current or clouds. All these things come into play during the course of fishing day and, and learning how to adapt and change those, you know, make changes to be successful is what the key is. Rick Clun is one of the best there is at, at doing stuff like that. Kevin Van Dam. Those are the guys that you know, they can make a, a, a subtle change in their presentation and, and or, or complete opposite, go completely the opposite direction, and it's the difference between winning and losing and being successful in a tournament. So of all that, the information, the, <laughs> you know, the, the baits, the areas, what to do this and when, you obviously have years and hours upon hours of experience. Is this something that, how do you keep track of all the, this information? I, I, I don't. <laughs> you really, you, it's, it's almost like the, the phrase flying by the seat of your pants. You really have to, uh, you know, it's almost instinctive at this point in my career. Uh, something triggers some thought process, and I remember. I have, I'm fortunate that I have a pretty good memory of things, and, and uh, I can flip back through the files real quick and say I should be doing this. Or I, and, and the hardest thing to do is to... If you're doing something and you're you're mildly successful at it, and all of a sudden something clicks in your head and says you should be doing this, you know that little voice is usually you hear that for a reason. And if you are fortunate enough to pay attention and, and immediately act on that, it can be the difference between catching a two-pound fish and catching a six-pound fish at that instant. If you if you react on those those little clues that you get throughout the day. Paying attention to that little voice a lot of times is, is the key to, to success. Uh, I, I can remember back a story Rick Clun told me about 
fishing a tournament where he was fishing along a bank and he knew he needed one four pound fish at least to make a check to have enough money to go home to get gas in his truck to be able to make it home and he was fishing along a bank and he and something he heard something behind him like an acorn hit the water and he turned around and made a cast immediately to that to that spot and caught a four pound fish and had enough you know made a check and and had enough money to get gas to go home so you know acting on those little those little instinctive clues that you get throughout the day sometimes you know some doesn't always work sure. but, but sometimes it can it can make the difference intuition so intuition mm-hmm. intuition is one of the keys to has been one of the keys to my success or, or maybe it's just stupid luck or, you know <laughs> now, who knows what it could uh, be you, but you don't it, make it, a million it goes dollars over and over and over again sure. it happens sure well you know certainly we're less than 24, 48 hours away from, you know, the kickoff of, of the final event of the 2006 season. Um, what's, what's going through your, your mind right now? Oh, yeah. man, this, we're, we're in Kimberlin City, and we're on Table Rock Lake. I've fished two tournaments here in the last two or three years and have not caught enough fish to have a party with. <laughs> so, uh, and that's in you know, five, six days of fishing. So I'm not really comfortable at this stage of the game. I really do need a good finish here to uh, stay up in the point standings and make the Classic. There's no, you know, done deal as far as going into the last tournament and having made right now and uh, where I'm at in the standings. So I've got to perform. And I know all the history. And I've, you know, talked with everybody that I can talk with, to know what the fish are supposed to be doing this time of year, what you have to do to catch them. And uh, now it's just a matter of going out and putting it all together and, and not getting distracted. You have to really focus on on what you're going to be doing this week. It's not going to be an easy tournament for anyone. And uh, I, I can't say that there's probably not more than a small handful of people that have been on in this type of situation fishing for what are basically suspended fish, and not necessarily suspended uh, in relation to, it's just a whole different lake than we've ever fished before, and a, and a different time of year than we've ever And fished. historically, you've either been here in the spring or in the yeah, fall. Yeah, we've always been here when it's been, you know, when the fish are relating to the bottom. Right now, they're relating to uh, a thermocline for the most part, and these fish are scattered all over the lake. They're anywhere between 20 and 50 feet of water and you have to go out and that may be that that 20 50 foot band may be over 100 feet of water so how do you isolate that you know the thermocline that, that you're in. referring to elaborate a little bit on that when you say relating to a thermocline well uh, i don't really know a lot about it because i live in florida we don't have thermoclines there uh, thermocline develops in a lake where you have water stratification uh, different temperature levels and the the water at the bottom of the lake is cooler than the water at the top and that zone that the water those two temperature changes meet is called a thermocline and the fish depending on where they are the most comfortable it's kind of like wanting to be in an air-conditioned room or wanting to be out in the sunshine during Mm -hmm. the summer the fish are going to find their comfort zone in that in that area of the lake that that water level is you know where they like to be bait fish every every fish that's that it's in the lake right now is relating to that thermocline and uh you know it's because that's where they're most comfortable so so we have a situation with suspended fish mm-hmm. which 
Are those fish catchable? You hear a lot oh, of talk yeah. about yeah, suspended absolutely. fish. Absolutely, they're very catchable, but there's not enough people in this tournament that have the experience to fish for that. We don't, we've, you know, we don't do that. We've, this is the first tournament of the year of, of the, really of the history of bass where we've had to worry about fishing for fish in a specific zone. And, you know, there's really not much else going on in the lake to be successful to catch fish, keepers anyway, 15-inch fish, uh, to be able to not pay attention to this. You know, usually, you know, a few weeks either side of this tournament and you could have gone up the river and caught fish, you could have fished boat docks, you could have fished uh, shallow wood, you could have fished rocky bluffs, but, you know, we're right in that particular time of the lake where everything's kind of right in that middle. It's kind of like trying to eat the center out of a piece of pie. You know, you're, you you can't go through the top and get, you know, just the meringue and you can't get to the bottom and go through the crust. You've got to kind of like rake through the middle of it to get what you want. Sure. And, and it's going to be a real puzzle. Do you think it was, what I find interesting is, you know, the way that the schedule all year has been set up. I mean, you, you've been putting together just tremendous bags right. and I'm talking the tournament as a whole. And now find yourself in a tournament to where any predictions on what you think? Oh, I, I couldn't even begin to imagine a tournament here this past weekend was one with around roughly 14 pounds a day. Hmm. And that's the best fisherman on the lake fishing two days. Now, you're bringing in a bunch <laughs> of guys that have had no experience at this type of fishing, uh, don't are not familiar with the lake, and... Uh, you know, it's not going to take, you know, there'll be some A limit of 15-inch fish a could go of 15 a inch long fish ways. Each then. day, obviously, would win. Uh, 10, to, 10, to, 10 to 12, 13 pounds a day, you're going to have a winner, in my opinion. Uh, and that's really catching them. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping to catch a couple, two or three keepers a day. It, it'd be nice. Fans are have just been tremendous throughout really just the last 12 to 14 months um, and since the the Elite Series was actually given birth to. Mm -hmm. But with that, obviously, you, you saw this up close and personal, they, with the chase boats, you know, how, how, does, how do you deal with that? I generally haven't had that problem. <laughs> you know, I, I feel bad for the guys like Kevin and, and Mike that, uh, you know, the front runners of the tournament usually are the most the most popular guys in the series right now that uh, they have 30 or 40 boats following them. It's rough on them uh, because that many boats around your area that you're trying to fish, you know, fish are very aware. It's just like you're sitting in your house and all of a sudden the street in front of your house loads up with cars and people out there honking their horns and revving their engines and uh, you're going to look out your window and you're not going to be real comfortable with what's going on. Fish are probably pretty close to the same. You know, all of a sudden, you know, goes from one or two or three boats in an area to 30 or 40 boats. A lot of ambient noise in the surrounding water makes them uncomfortable, and they're not going to be in their, their natural state, normal fishing pressure type, you know, feeding mode. They're going to be more curious than they are or more wary than they are in the position to eat. So uh, it makes it tougher on those guys. Plus... Uh, it makes it tough on the rest of the anglers, uh, especially in a six-hole course or uh, really anywhere where you've got that much boat traffic. If you're trying to fish a, a stretch of shoreline and all of a sudden 40 boats runs by you, it muddies up your bank, and they have, you know, they're not following you, but they're affecting the way you fish. So uh, 
it's not a bad thing, but it's not a good thing. I mean, it's kind of a catch-22. We love to have the fans around, and we love the people cheering us on. And for the most part, I have to say that the biggest majority of the, the people that follow us now have enough knowledge and, and are aware of what's going on that they are very quiet, they're very respectful, they keep their distance. Most of them watch with binoculars. Uh, you know, they don't get right up next to you and cause you a lot of trouble. So I'd say the biggest problem is really uh, the traffic, the wave, the wave action on the lake and the shorelines more than anything else. But the people themselves are usually great and fun to have around uh, cheering you on. You think the elite format with the introduction of the rap boats and, and, and just really the whole change in format? Has Creating that... identities? Yes. I think it's absolutely the right thing to do. I think... Uh, you know, for years, we've kind of languished in our own anonymity of, of being just a group of fishermen out on the body of water. Now, with the, the branding of the boats and the, and the individuals, people are able to identify, you know, with one person or with a, with a particular sponsor rep or something like that and know who that angler is. So I think it's really brought it out into the forefront of, of fishing now that, you know, we have uh, identities as anglers and we're easier to associate with uh, a sponsor or with uh, a brand name than, than we have been in the past. And I think it's really gonna move the sport forward. It's gonna create uh, more visibility for the anglers, more visibility for the sponsors, and uh, it's gonna bring the sport up to a new level. When people think of Peter T, what, what do you want them to think of? The only thing that I can that comes to mind is uh, genuine. I want people to know that I'm a genuine angler. I, I have never been anything but. I wanted to. Uh, all I've ever done is fish, uh, and I've, I've made a living at it, and I've been successful. And it, and it didn't start out as uh, it hasn't been driven by success or by money. It's been just an inner passion and a drive to compete and and continue to do something that I love and the money has been really a byproduct of it. I, I mean I'm not rich but I'm comfortable and uh, and as long as I've been able to be comfortable and, and support my family and, and you know make a good living I can't ask for anything better than that so being a genuine angler, being a genuine individual, uh, never pretended to be anything more than what I am and, and I think that's probably what I, I can identify with the most. The moment you most remember moment I most throughout your course of your career probably the uh, 1990 classic in Richmond and I came in the second day with the biggest stringer and the biggest fish that was one of the most exciting moments in my career standing up on stage with Ray Scott uh, and holding the fish and the, and the entire I mean a packed house in that Coliseum at Richmond just to the rafters everybody up and screaming. It was the most excitement I've been involved in in my early years of my career and that's one of those things that just kind of stuck in my head as, as an all-time great moment. Your go-to bait? Ah, plastic worm. Plastic worm. Soft plastics. Okay. Wrapping up, what's the ultimate goal that you have? I guess just to continue on doing what I'm doing as long as I'm able physically to do it. Uh, I used to look when I first started in, in fishing at Jerry Ryan and how long he fished and how long his career was and he kind of quit when he wanted to. And I think that's what I would like to be able to do is fish as long as I'm able to be competitive. Uh, 
in tournaments, and uh, when I retire, I'll just go fishing. Peter, I would love to be able to sit here. I could talk with you for, for <laughs> hours. Time is limited. I sincerely appreciate all the, the expertise and wisdom that, that you've shared with us today. Thank and you. wish you the best of luck for the upcoming 2007 season. Pleasure, and thanks Thank for you. having me. Hey, thanks, Peter. It's always a pleasure to be able to talk with you. All right, next up is the product giveaway, but first we need to head to our next break, and then we will be right back to announce this week's product giveaway winner. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140, and best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Welcome back to The Edge with your host, Aaron Martin. Welcome back to The Edge. Each week, we randomly draw a winner from the received entries for some great products provided by our sponsors. And to register for those, all that you need to do is send us an email at podcast at bassedge.com with the subject line listed as product giveaway. And then if you would, include your name and address within the body of the email so that we know where to send those prizes to if you win. But this week, we have a complete set of Cook's Go-To Tackle Systems, uh, which mount directly under your storage compartment lid and allows you to maximize uh, the space in those areas. Another thing that it does, really, that I like, it allows the, um, for instance, like your jigs and your spinnerbaits to hang upright um, so that those skirts don't get compressed and, and really causes them to uh, to keep their shape and flare out in the water. But also, it keeps your, you know, your plastics all within easy reach. So for more information, uh, be sure to visit their website at cooksgoto.com. But the winner of this week's prize package goes out to Brad from Brunswick, Georgia. So congratulations, Brad. We'll get those Cooks Tackle systems uh, shipped out to you very, very shortly. Okay, let's head to our listener email where each week on the edge, uh, we answer listener email questions. Uh, that we put out to our Bass Edge Pro staff. But if you'll send us a question, we automatically enter you into the weekly drawing. So again, if you have a question that you would like answered, um, nine times out of ten, you're going to be helping us all learn something by sending that in. And all you need to do is just send that to podcast at BassEdge.com. But this week's question is from Dominic out in Maryland. And his question states, I recently read a Knot of the Month article in Field and Stream, where a Rapala knot, or Rapala as some people say it, was the suggested knot for hard-bodied crankbaits and minnow plugs without a split ring because of the freedom of movement it will give. Are there certain kinds of knots for certain lures that will provide a better action for the lure? If possible, could you suggest uh, knots for spinnerbaits, buzzbaits, crankbaits, and plastic worms? And uh, be happy to do that, Dominic. What we did, we put this out to everybody and kind of got a consensus on uh, on what everyone's opinion is. But there seems to be a little bit of confusion within the art of knot tying because a lot of companies have associated their names with variations of, of very long-standing knots or variations of those knots, um, maybe making an adjustment. And although most of those are very useful, um, the downside to that is it becomes, I know for me, it becomes extremely confusing to try and remember them all. But uh, in polling our pro staff, 
the most common knots used um, really for the, for the application that you demonstrated for Texas rigs, jigs, spinnerbaits, and buzzbaits, you know, the ma majority of, of all of us selected the polymer knot because of its strength and the speed in which it can be tied. The second choice being the improved clinch knot, uh, which um, that again, there's been a lot of variations of that. A lot of people that have tied, you know, their name to that. Uh, but for crankbaits, the number one choice amongst us is the uh, no slip mono loop knot. And it allows what that allows it to do instead of the, the knot being cinched directly down, uh, like you had stated in your question, against the eye or the split ring of uh, the lure, there's actually a loop or a space, and it allows that the crankbait to really, really wobble and make sure that it's achieving its maximum action. But regardless of the type of the knot, uh, all of us noted the importance of making sure that you know that you wet the line in order for it to cinch tightly, as well as making sure that when the line passes through uh, the eye of the hook, uh, especially on the polymer knot, that it does not overlap on top of itself to avoid. Uh, any additional stress because as you probably well aware in a polymer knot you're actually running or doubling up the line that is going through uh, the eye of the hook but uh, because of the radio and uh, audio rather and trying to demonstrate those knots I've, I actually looked up a resource for us all uh, which in my opinion it's, it's just a, a great great book to actually illustrate those you can also go to the website and just you know search under fishing knots but uh, one, one of those books is um, actually by Lefty Cray and Mark Sosen, and the book name is Practical Fishing Knots. It's uh, put out by the Lions Press, and I think it costs somewhere around $13, but the telephone number for that is 888-249-7586. Again, that is 888-249-7586, Practical Fishing Knots by Lefty Cray and Mark Sosen. Um, you know, it's, it's just a, a great book. Uh, for helping illustrate and well as teaching you uh, the differences of those knots. So thanks, Dominic, for that great question. And don't forget to send yours in. Let's take our final break. And when we come back, we will be speaking with Dr. Jay McNamara on goal setting, who is the author of The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My cook's go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's Tackle System by calling 1-88-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. All right, we are back on the edge, and I am joined by Dr. Jay McNamara, who actually just came out with his first book, uh, also present on host the In the Zone segment as part of our very own Bass Edge, and also writes for FLWoutdoors.com. Jay, thanks so much for taking time to be here. Oh, thank you, Aaron. Pleasure. You know, Jay, the last time we talked, and I, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I want to get right to the meat and potatoes, but it was just right before your book was to come out, and which uh, the title of that book is The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing. Can you give us, possibly for you know, first-time listeners, uh, just a, a quick synopsis of, of what that, that uh, book and what this whole psychological, um, you know, performance psychological principles and, and those type of things are before we get into it? Sure, Aaron. Well, you know, a lot of athletes have used performance psychology principles uh, for several years. Golfers are notorious for using uh, performance psychology concepts like visualization and mental rehearsal. Uh, people in other sports like basketball players, 
football players, tennis players, all have used performance psychology principles. Olympic athletes have been using psychology principles for uh, over 30 years. And the concepts are the same, whether you're talking about a relaxation exercise or a stress management principle or approach to goal setting or the visualization exercises that golfers use. Those things can all be applied to any competitive sport. Clearly, uh, professional fishing is a competitive sport. Competitive angling uh, uses the same principles as other sports, and the same uh, performance psychology principles can be used to maximize performance there. Let's get into, I think, two things that really, I know for a fact, impact me, but also many anglers that are out there, uh, one of which is goal setting. You know, and let's, let's talk a little bit you know, about goal setting and what, you know, I guess to start off with, what is the point of setting goals in fishing? Well, you know, goal setting does several things for people, Aaron. The mo one of the most important things that uh, setting a set of specific goals does is it helps people focus their activity. If you just decide to go fishing and uh, catch whatever you're going to catch or whatever bites, um, you're way less likely to be successful than if you decide, for example, that you want to go largemouth bass fishing or you want to target smallmouth or you want to target spotted bass or you want to fish for walleyes. Um, you would do different things in each of those situations, most likely. And if your goal is to catch a specific species, uh, you're way more likely to then focus your activity on the kinds of things that would help you catch that species. And so the goal-setting concept uh, applies generally to focusing activity for people. Um, the other thing that uh, goals do is they help you uh, set some sort of benchmark against which you can measure your performance. So it, once you have a goal set, then you can tell whether what you did this year or this month or uh, this season in your fishing um, was as good or better or worse than last year. Um, it's a way to measure progress, and uh, people need ways to measure progress and monitor their performance in order to improve. But specific to goal setting, you know, and I totally agree with what you're saying, Aren't we somewhat held captive to how the fish respond? I mean, how do you tie in, you know, we're dealing with, with a live animal. How do, you, how do you wrap your goals kind of around that to allow for, you know, the, the results at the end of the day, if you will? Absolutely. That's a, a good point, Aaron. Um, goal setting uh, isn't going to uh, directly affect your performance every single time you fish. So if your goal for uh, tournaments is to... Uh, weigh in a limit each time this year, maybe last year, let's say you uh, came up short in a few tournaments, this year your goal is to weigh in a limit every time. It doesn't necessarily mean that you will, um, but if that's your objective, that helps you focus your activity better than if you just said, I'm going to try and do better than I did last year. Um, all kinds of psychological research shows that more specific goals uh, are more likely to result in improved performance than general or vague goals. Uh, but you have to keep in mind that um, the uh, individual characteristics of the day on the water um, may uh, it lead to imp um, performance that's better than or worse than the goal that you initially set for yourself. So how do you deal with that? Well, you have to keep it in terms of a long-range perspective. Think about other sports like uh, baseball hitters or uh, basketball players. Um, you know, if you uh, strike out uh, three times in a game, uh, and then get hit a hit in your next two at-bats, uh, that's a great day. Um, uh, two for five um, is, a, is a pretty strong performance. Um, but if you just focus on 
the initial strikeout and the next strikeout and the next strikeout, um, you can get yourself discouraged. If your goal is to still um, watch the ball and get a hit each time, um, you, you stay in the game. You stay focused on what your objective is. Same way with fishing. Um, if you don't catch fish right off the bat in the morning um, and your goal is to catch X number of fish or X number of pounds, um, you can stay focused on that. And I think your performance in the recent Ranger Cup tournament is a very good example of that. You stayed focused on your goal, you and your partner did, um, right up to the very end, and it wasn't until the, the last inning, so to speak, that you caught your fish. Um, that's a perfect example of staying focused on goals um, that keeps your activity in the line with what your objectives are. So, Jay, in your experience, have you ever noticed or witnessed a, a time when goals can work against you or against an angler? Well, uh, the biggest mistake that I see uh, anglers make, Aaron, is uh, people that uh, have uh, goals that are way beyond what they could possibly achieve. You know, it wouldn't be uh, realistic if I was a basketball player to think that I could um, ever dunk over the top of Shaquille O'Neal, you know. I'm just a short guy. That's not going to happen. Sure. Uh, I, 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 uh, no matter how hard I work at it, no matter what my goal is, uh, that's just not physically possible for me. So if that was my objective, all I would do would be frustrate myself. And if anglers do that with uh, goal setting and fishing and set their, their goals so high that they're most likely to be frustrated, um, then they'll get discouraged, and then they're likely to not only give up goal setting, but they could easily abandon other important psychological principles as not being worthwhile either. So you want your goals to um, stretch you beyond your previous accomplishments. You want your goals to be higher than your performance was last year, but you don't want them to be so high as to make them unrealistic and then likely to be frustrating. Well, I know through the, you know, for instance, through uh, the psychology of exceptional fishing, your book, you know, you outline an entire plan and you break it up into short, you know, intermediate and long term. And I guess what I want to throw in there, um, you know, as, as part of that description is, I think, in my opinion, that you know, you can set or establish higher goals, but yet as long as you make sure that you've got kind of a, a measuring system of how to get there, uh, you know, of which is realistic. I mean, would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. You know, let's uh, talk about somebody that's just getting started in competitive angling. Um, they can have their as their long-range goal um, to win the FLW Championship or the Bassmasters Classic, and if that's your goal, um, go for it. Uh, live your, you know, have your dreams be as big as they want to be. Um, but it wouldn't make sense for somebody who's uh, first year on the tour to have their goal be to win the Classic this year. Um, that might happen. <laughs> um, you know, Brian Kirchhoff won the Classic as a, as a Federation champion, or the, and, but um, it's not likely to happen. And so uh, you want to have your goals, like you said, the long-term goals can be as big as you want them to be. The immediate and short-term goals need to be both skill improvement goals and performance improvement goals that will help you realize your long-range goals. So uh, to give us an example, you know, let's, let's take it outside of the competitive angling and, and kind of address more of our recreational anglers right now. You know, sure. if, if they want to experience catching a 10-pound bass, walk us right. through just quickly, like, how you would lay that out. Well, the goal setting in that particular context would imply, again, a series of steps and uh, a series of activities that a person would need to go to. Um, so if a person wanted to catch a 10-pound bass and they lived in my neighborhood here in Minnesota, um, the first thing they'd have to do would be to get out of town <laughs> because we don't have 10-pound fish in Minnesota. Um, they'd have to go to a place that has 10-pound fish. They would also have to then research activities uh, that uh, people who other people who catch 10-pound fish do. Um, 
You know, if you're going to go to uh, uh, Florida and fish wild shiners, that's not the kind of thing that people around here know how to do. So you'd have to, that would, again, the goal to catch a 10-pound fish would direct your activity in the direction of finding out about what kind of equipment you need to catch shiners, what kind of lake do you need to go to, um, where do you get shiners? <laughs> I mean, several things uh, that uh, someone whose goal was to just catch a 10-pound fish um, wouldn't be able to accomplish if they just tried to fish um, Lake Minnetonka here in Minneapolis. And with the, you know, as technologically connected as what we are now, you can a lot of times do that research without ever leaving the, uh, you know, the confines of your home or your personal computer. Absolutely. You know, you can set up a series of goals um, on an electronic file, and then you can just click over to... Uh, um, your internet server and research all kinds of information that will help put those uh, goals in place. You know, the other thing that I reference in the book as well is the, uh, the number of the internet chat rooms that are available these days to uh, discuss things with all kinds of anglers in terms of getting uh, feedback about your goals and your objectives and uh, learning more things. It's a wonderful tool t for people to use. Um, and uh, it's a great way to, uh, again, focus your activity based on what your goals are. Yeah. Um, in the last uh, couple minutes here, Jay, how often should, should anglers set goals specific to fishing? Well, if you're a competitive angler, you need uh, goals for the season. You need goals for uh, each tournament. And you actually should have goals for each practice day. And most of the anglers that I've worked with, the competitive anglers that I've fished with over the years, uh, have those. Now, they don't maybe don't always have them written down in a notebook. Some do, though. I, I will tell you that I've seen that. But um, they have them in their head. They have a goal for each day, practice day. They have a, go a certain goal for uh, the fish that they expect to catch during each day of the tournament. They have a goal for each tournament, and they certainly have an, uh, complex seasonal goals as well. And so at the very least, you should do those, and then they should be reviewed uh, either on the basis of each tournament or at least once a year in terms of the long-range goals. Jay, that's some some great information. And, you know, the the interesting thing since we started uh, not only Bass Edge but just in the zone segment, and then you're following up with those on the articles, you know, things like that. I definitely think that we've hit a nerve because you know the ang average angler, whether it be just recreational or competitive wise, you know, they're becoming more and more educated. And there comes a time when fundamentals will only take you so far. And I think you've definitely demonstrated, you know, with the foresight that you've brought about. Um, with the psychology of exceptional fishing within your book, you know, we can get that, uh, obviously, uh, listeners can get that through directly through Bass Edge. I know it's soon to be out on Amazon.com. Um, but what about email? What about how can, can anglers, if they have questions, why don't you go ahead and give your email address out? Sure. It's j.drfish, D-R-F-I-S-H. So it's J-A-Y dot D-R-F-I-S-H at gmail.com. Great. And uh, people can contact us there. And, uh, you know, in reference to that book, Aaron, that's another perfect example. Uh, people have been telling me for a, a lot of years that I should write a book on the psychology of fishing. It wasn't until you and I started working together that I set that as a goal. And once I did, I was able to focus my activity, and now we have it in print. Yeah, so, and that's um, a great I, point. I'm a perfect example of that myself. Yeah, and, you know, and with that being said, it, the, so many of, of the things and items and, and points that you make, and then also just the, the easy steps that you give us, uh, that are carried out. Those have been used in business and every other sport, um, you know, thing that's out there. It only makes sense to then bring that over and, and segue that into fishing, um, you know, to, to achieve exceptional results. Absolutely. We've got over 50 years of uh, research in psychology that sh shows that goal setting absolutely works. 
there's no reason that competitive fishermen or even recreational anglers couldn't use that to improve their catch rate. Sure. Well, Jay, unfortunately we are out of time, but the great news is I am definitely going to have you back next week uh, to where we're going to be talking specifically about time management, which I don't care who you are. If you love to fish, whether it be competitive or recreational, you know, when you're out on the water, time management is very, very critical. So we look forward to that. And Jay, thanks so much for being part of The Edge this week. Thank you, Aaron. All right. Once again, our time has quickly slipped away from us, but I want to be sure and thank Peter T. as well as Jay McNamara for making time for us. Uh, Next week, we also have another great lineup. Special treat WBT angler and competitor Lisa Craig, whom is just a uh, phenomenal person. Uh, You are going to get a lot out of her interview, a great competitor as well. But we'll also have another great product giveaway, so don't forget to send in your entries and questions to podcast at BassEdge.com. In the meantime, for more cutting-edge information, visit the website at BassEdge.com. Tune us in on the Versus Network every Wednesday and Sunday mornings. And until next time, thanks for joining me, and I look forward to next week right here on The Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edges, The Edge, has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Cook's Tackle Management Systems, Locker Bar Boat Security Systems, and MegaWare Keel Guard. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com.